welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I am beyond thrilled to welcome Jean Drummond, president at HCD International, to talk about how we as an industry can use social needs and social influencers of health to drive improved outcomes. And Jean is an absolute expert on this. Jean, welcome, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. I am just absolutely delighted. You know this subject just is so important. Um, we've been we've been working on this for years. I won't tell how many years because then I'm going to have to, you know, maybe reveal <clears throat> my youth about that. But um, indeed, when we think about you know value-based care, our healthcare system in general, especially post-COVID, right, um, as we're as we're coming after the soon after the pandemic, um, social needs are so important. They absolutely are. And they were always there. And I, I know you as an expert knew that. Um, but now what we've really seen post-COVID and post-pandemic is that everyone recognizes how social needs impact our healthcare outcomes. And it's just sort of gotten to this fever pitch where we can't ignore it anymore as a society. And I think, I think that's a good, it's a better place to be. Um, and that's why I'm so excited to dive in today's conversation because you just presented on this topic at Rice Conference here in Chicago with Blue Cross Blue Shield, and I heard it was absolutely fantastic. So can you just sort of start by level setting and sort of giving us some background on your collaboration with Blue Cross? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I tell you, when you talk about social needs, man, it, it, it dates back many, many years. So excited about working with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois. So um, they are just super strategic and focused on making sure they are improving the quality of health for their members. And a part of that is not only your medical, but it's also the social needs, right? And so we have been working with them for actually several years now and um, really have developed some very data-driven, culturally appropriate, human-centered initiatives to identify who are those members most in need, right? Who are those members that, what for, for a sundry of reasons, have social needs that can certainly um, impact their, you know, their, their health care needs, um, their, their medical needs? And so um, we've been working with them around their health equity strategy. You know, Illinois requires plans to provide a health equity strategy. And we've been doing that, but doing it in a very actionable kind of way, right? You know, many years ago, um, you know, we would write a plan and put it on the shelf. Not so now. Um, it is actionable. It's agile. We're looking at it. We're measuring it. We are, you know, uh, pivoting as needed as we find the. We're getting um, data from uh, data from the members, and that's very important. You know, we follow a lot of the quantitative data. But the qualitative data is so critical to really keep your pulse on the on the temperature of what's going on with your members and to really include the member voice, right? They're consumers. They are consumers, right? Um, you know, and so 
How do we make sure that we're listening, that we understand their need? How, how do they perceive? We talk about patient and family engagement and how do we co-create those strategies with the members? And so I'm just really excited to be working um, with Blue Cross Blue Shield. You know, we have a phenomenal sponsor um, there and uh, just the work that she is doing. She is so committed to driving social change and, um, you know, just really improving the quality of health and, and, and doing it in a very active, present tense kind of way. I mean, what are our members saying today and looking at that data? So we've got, um, we've got a great, great um, work that we're doing. So we were able to present, yes, at the RISE conference. Uh, we were the opening session that morning on, on Monday morning. And um, she really framed it up in a great way of sharing the plans, you know, overall strategy, their health equity strategy, because, you know, it begins at the top. And so sharing their commitment um, across on multiple lanes, the data analytics, working with the community, working with the providers, um, just multiple, how it's, it's, it's really multiple partners. And then, you know, we um, being able to work with them as a women-owned, you know, minority business, um, we're very grateful for the, the BEP um, component that's there. And we have many of our staff are right there in these zip codes, live in these zip codes, live in these, you know, live in the communities in which we are going to be serving the members. So it was quite an exciting time. Absolutely. And I love there's so much I sort of want to underscore that you outlined. And, and we're talking about, you know, we have a, a dear friend with a, Tiffany at Blue Cross. Um, she's okay. phenomenal. And and I think what's important to know is, is like when we think of the leadership at Blue Cross, when we think of Jean, as you said, your staff is in these zip codes. So often people don't realize that why we are so passionate about some of this work we're doing is because it's personal. It's personal for folks in the Medicaid space. You are we are often here because we are mission driven. There is some reason, something that has drawn us to this program, drawn us to help others. And it isn't, um, it is more than just sort of checking that box like it used to be. Um, it is really about um, action and making a difference. And what I love too, of what you said, Jean, that I just want to underscore one more time is the idea of we're pivoting now. We learn more, we get data, we get information and we pivot. I don't think a pivot is a failure in your first plan. I think pivoting and adjusting underscores success and commitment in your execution. Because what it means is you are taking new information and you are adapting your strategy to based off of what you are learning. You are learning, you are growing, and you are committed to improving as opposed to sort of that lackadaisical approach of, this is what we planned on. It's on autopilot now. We'll revisit it in a year, you know, which isn't, helpful. Um, I love a good pivot. Absolutely. I mean, actually, your pivot is a part of the process, right? When we think about quality improvement, you know, we have PDSAs, right? Plan, Do, Study, Act. So it has to be, when we're thinking about equity, and definitely when you're looking at, you know, post-code, you know, doing these, doing these difficult times when, you know, um, we know the public health emergency is about to, about to lift. We know the, the impact of SNAP benefits and just the housing, more just so many different um, uh, support systems that were put in for individuals during this time. You've got to make sure that 
you are meeting the need and hearing the voice from the mem from the members um, is is critical. And so being able to to ensure that you are agile is success because then you can quickly realign resources. You can realign them to what the new need is. And so that is, I think that's just front and center. And it's a part of, I believe, you know, CMS the, just or the whole quality improvement continuum says it's, constant, you know, it's a continuous process. And so I, I think that's very important. You know, Sam, you mentioned something about social needs have been with us. And I thought about, you know, back in 1906, get this, 1906, right? W.E. Du Bois noted that social conditions, not genetics, you know, impacted the, the health of, you know, my, minorities in a significant way. And so it wasn't until really kind of about 2010, and I know you're a policy expert that the federal government really formally formally recognize social conditions, such as whether we're going to call it social determinants, social influences, but, you know, the social needs and it really having an impact on disparities, which now in the United States, I was just looking at some numbers, is $175 billion of lost life years and just excess, 135 of excess healthcare costs. So, I tell you, Sam, we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do, a lot of people to help. And um, because, you know, clearly it's contributing to the 19, to the over 19% of, of our gross national product that we're spending right now in healthcare. Yet we have, you know, our health outcomes are, huh, you know, we don't even want to talk. That's a whole nother subject to talk about <laughs> maternal health, but we can just go on and on. But let me, let me go back and, and allow you to, you know, continue. Well, I just think, you know, there's so much there to unpack, and it is. It's multiple conversations, right? It is about, you know, I always say it's easy for folks to think, oh, social, you know, health-related social needs or social determinants of health, that's somebody else's issue. Like, even if you are the most privileged person, you know, maybe you're a billionaire and, um, you know, you, you don't have any of these issues and you can afford to spend whatever on health care. The truth is it costs all of us, right? Like, yes. the, these, yeah. the costs are... are public systems, um, yes. is the opportunity, workforce. yes, workforce, the opportunity yes. cost of it all, it impacts every single one of us, either directly or indirectly, and we are a community that is woven together, um, yes. and, and weakness in a system um, impacts all of us negatively, and it, of course, to say nothing of just the human component of, um, you know, caring for our neighbors. And so yeah. I think you said something that I wanted to start, you know, sort of unpacking a little bit more, which is that idea of starting with cultural humility and empathy yeah. as we sort of address yeah. these social needs. And I think that's really key. Can you sort of like talk to me more about that? I am so glad. Absolutely. So, you know, when we, so we understand that certainly we must address social needs and the impact of it representing over 80% of, you know, overall, just the, the significant impact of social needs. So with that, how then do you understand or speak to your members? How do you approach them? How do you find out what they need, right? We know it's not necessarily, it's, we, we've got to speak to them. And so in speaking to our members, and this is what HCDI does so well, we are really an engagement company. Whether we're engaging with policy members, providers, you know, I'm a provider, you know, or members, 
but we begin with with a, a, a sense of our human-centered design approaches, which begins with empathy, right? How do we genuinely care? Listening. We always talk about we like to we like to create relationship over transaction. Let's just be real. Redetermination is about a transaction, right? But how do we demonstrate that we care first? And caring might be, let me get you a bag of groceries. Let me help you with your transportation, your housing, your electricity needs before I start talking about what it is that I need when we call. How do we creatively think about their, the community in which the members live? What are the resources? How do we you know, provide greater greater investments in our, in these communities and, and empower them so that there is sustainability, right? So is there a lot that could be tilled and you could create a, a urban garden there? How do we look at, typically we look at these, you know, communities where you might have a higher, a higher, um, you know, population of your Medicaid members. And that's what actually we're doing at Blue Cross Blue Shield is how do we create investments in those communities because they're economics. And then I think it's it's really around um, the cultural 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 humility, approaching um, an individual, whomever they may be, from a standpoint of that it's not what I say you need or how I think you should fix that meal because you're a person with diabetes, but it's what culturally how how do you want to you know what is important to you. Um, it might be, you know, a certain food. It might be your grandchildren. How can I activate you, activate you so that you desire to have a healthier life? What does good health look like to you? What would be that benefit? And so when we um, speak, we approach it in a culturally, utilizing cultural intelligence. And that's really our staff's ability to relate, to relate, to relate. Can I say this again? And work with um, individuals that are culturally different, realizing even our similarities, right? Although I may be an African-American female, you know, and I'm talking to Hispanic female, uh, uh, Asian, you know, a Chinese an individual, you know, from a Chinese American, we both, we all have a heart. We all want love. We all want to achieve a certain level of health so that we can enjoy our families and our community, be productive citizens back in our community. So that's how we approach it. And it's, we're very sincere about that, how we listen first. We listen, what's important to you? And that's how we begin to engage, to understand what are those social needs that are most important to you that we can help you on your healthcare journey. Oh. I could not agree more. And I'm. we always talk about, um, and we actually began this conversation in sort of prep, talking about words and why they matter and how we're really purposeful about them. Um, and, and one of the phrases that you've heard us use is that cultural humility. And oftentimes you hear sort of this, the framing of cultural competence um, yeah. and why we sort of don't use that that framing and we rather talk about being humble and that cultural humility right. is that right. you can't be competent in someone else's culture. It's not possible. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You and you have to understand. I mean, we come to things with our lens, right? With our lived experiences and what has happened to us. And we, you know, we approach it. We have our perceptions, our tendencies, our preferences, our stereotypes. 
but we have to understand and be cognizant of our implicit biases because it indeed has an impact in healthcare outcomes and how we treat others, especially when we are providers. Um, you know, it goes well beyond the skill set per se of actual clinical medicine and has a very big impact on, you know, I was looking at an article just um, just the other day about emergency room admissions. And, you know, that's one of the things that we're trying to divert. We want people in more preventative care going upstream, right, than having them in the emergency room for an, an, an century of reasons. Um, but a part of it, it, it was, this article was speaking of um, just implicit bias and the impact of admissions, how long individuals are there, how they're treated. And so, Sam, we got a lot of work to do, lady. <laughs> we we got do. a lot of work to do in training our, you know, providers. Whether and I'm going to throw another curveball at you. We typically think of our providers as just being um, the doctor, the nurse practitioner, you know, me, a PA, and and just those that are in the quote unquote healthcare, you know, the direct care. But what about the cab driver, the transport? driver that shows up at a member's door, right, to take them to a dialysis center. So we've been doing some, you know, some work around helping the, the cab drivers to have trauma-informed care and to have implicit bias. Their role in access to getting a member care, we, we really have to broaden our lens to whom, who is it, who is a part of that member's journey again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've worked on this um, at IMHIP. Um, we are committed to this. We pursued legislation a bit ago to require implicit bias training um, oh. for our clinicians, uh, you know, for this very reason, yeah. it impacts outcomes and impacts you know, the care our members receive. And we really felt like it was our job to use our voice and you know yeah. this whatever influence we have to make the healthcare system better for our Medicaid members, um, but for the entire community. The country is looking at what you're you know you're doing some amazing work there, Sam. You know with your legislative body and just really providing them the kind of data and the thinking and the perspectives that I know that's the work that we try to you know share with CMS and when we're um, responding to rule, you know, rule writing and 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 various, um, you know, upcoming trying to shape that to make sure that the clinician's voice is heard, the member's voice is heard, and that they can really understand how where where they can incentivize, right, and who should be at the table. So important. That's why I, I love the work of I am happy and, and what you are continually dedicated to do. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jean. We love working with you. And I would be remiss if we didn't just, before we ended our call, I want to hit on one more topic you sort of highlighted. And I loved the way you said it about relating before you try to do a transaction. And, yeah. you know, you tied that into redeterminations, which is something that I think about at this point, you know, every five minutes um, as we sort of get ready here in Illinois to, you know, sort of kick that off. Um can you talk a little bit about how you see social needs and um, health plans and all of that sort of, you know, working together um, 
with regards to redeterminations? Sure. Well, um, <laughs> we know May the 11th is coming up quick and fast, right? Um, with the public health emergency, you know, being lifted. And then, you know, with the redeterminations, um, what is it? I think 16 million American households um, are going to be, you know, receiving receiving less monthly assistance. And um, according to some of the research, it's going to be impacting about 2 million people right there in Illinois in a number of ways, even with the SNAP. So it's not just the redetermination. It's so many other benefits, even around, I was just speaking around, you know, SNAP and, and just in a sundry of various areas. Um, and so what I'm going to say that I have seen with the redetermination, I think it's so very important, and I've been saying to plans, is that we're seeing members are now, because we do a lot of engagement, we are reaching out, whether it's quality heat, it's measures, whatever it might be, transportation, we, we are engaging. We're on the phone, we're on the ground, knocking on doors, talking to individuals. And what we're seeing is members are very much asking questions about what other services are the plans providing related to my social needs. Talk to me about transportation. Talk to me about food. Talk to me about employment programs. Talk to me about, you know, services for my children, right? Help me to understand the other, I get it, dental, you know, the, the typical, I get a doc, you know, my primary care doctor. But it's expanding beyond that. And so what we have been advising plans is you really need to make sure you are looking at what they're calling value-add value, value add benefits, and particularly focused on the social. We've encouraged plans to talk to your members, not just, not, let it not just be a one-way of, you know, that when, you, when they, you know, they join, they're getting their member benefits. No, reach out, understand what they are need, be very intentional. It's not just the CAP survey, because we know the CAP surveys, unfortunately, you know, just nationally, are, don't get the highest return. This needs to be an active, ongoing reaching out. And that's what I love about Blue Cross. They're saying, Gene, talk, tell us, talk to our members. And we're, we're, we're calling them. We're finding out what, is, what do you need. And then not only what do you need, but we are then, um, once we send them or get them the food, we're calling back and saying, did you get what you need? Was that, was that still good? Sometimes it's amazing. They may call us like, yes, I got it. I got a new job now. You know, I'll be, I mean, and so you're really creating that relationship with the plan so that they know who you are. Um, we've had calls where the members, this is with other um, plans, that they don't know who their plan is through. Um, it's, it's been amazing just some of the other answers. And so I say engage, engage, engage. Engage with the member's voice, engage in the com at the community level, Who's in the community? What's going on? What are the other partners that could become a part of this? Engage with the policymakers. You know, certainly engage with IMHAP, right? We know that. Um, and so that has been our, our conversations with the redetermination. Certainly, you've got to follow it. Every state is, every, you know, is every state are doing it different. Some states are really progressive in giving the plans. Others are not. But, you know, we know even in marketing, it's much easier to keep a member than it is to lose them and then get them back, right? 
Um, and so we're saying serve them with pride, serve them with dignity, um, let them, you know, remove the human bias, you know, remove that unconscious bias and, um, you know, do all that we can because we're in this together. <laughs> we're in this together. And um, I think that uh, CMS, the uh, director of OMH has said, we don't have, we really don't have quality unless we have health equity. There is no health quality without health equity. Oh, isn't that the truth? And, and it impacts all of us. Um, it is the reason we need to engage members. It is the reason we need to work on being culturally humble, the reason we need to address social needs, and, of course, the reason we need to explore and eradicate implicit bias um, and become yeah. aware of them. I mean, we all have yeah. them. It's, you know, one other thing I was going to think that Tiffany, both of us, said, you know, she's an attorney by trade, and she said, you know what, I am here to just be a social you know, just active, just to change, change agent. And I just love that. That's what she said at the RISE conference. Um, how do we use our position of influence to be a social change agent for mm. those that are most vulnerable? And that's mm. what we want to do for every Illinoisan. We want to be a, you know, we want to make their lives better. Thank you so much, Jean. I just love talking with you. I love how this conversation has gone. Um, and I just can't wait to have you back and to continue this fantastic work and, and to explore all that you are doing because you are absolutely a change agent. And we are so grateful for that. And to our listeners, to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.org. And of course, don't forget to like and follow us. Until next time. Be well and stay safe.